0: Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. We have been working on, or working through, this series called Christmas Surprises, which has been working through the Christmas story according to Matthew. Uh, We talked about how that Peanuts Christmas special gives Luke all the love, so we want to give Matthew a little bit of love, work through the Christmas story according to him. And if you're on our church email list, you would have got the family brief email this week. And uh, had you opened it and read the devotional, you would have read How Much I Love Christmas. Yes. Some of you read that and you, are, you, you saw it. I love Christmas. I love the songs of Christmas. I mentioned in the email, I love to just belt out in my car, Mary, Did You Know? and reflect on the words of that song. That song never gets old to me. Uh, I didn't share in the email, but my son, who's two years old, sometimes I'll, I'll be belting out a song and I'll just hear him I look back in the mirror His he's like this... <laughs> Uh, And he says to me, Daddy, stop singing. I don't like it. (laughs) So that's why I don't sing in choirs today. But I love to sing. I love the Christmas lights. I even love the light displays that I literally have to take an Advil first before going to see because it's so bright and twinkly and all of those kinds of things. I love the movie specials, the, the specials and the TV shows. I love every year being reminded by Linus of these shepherds that are sore afraid and being Charlie Brown hearing again that uh, what the meaning of Christmas really is. I love uh, giving surprise gifts to my family and my kids. My wife doesn't like surprises, but she puts up with me at this time of year anyway. <laughs> I love the Christmas flash mob videos. You know those videos? Uh, My favorite ones, one of the first ones I ever saw in this crowded mall, and just kind of out of the blue, this cantata starts belting out one of the songs from Handel's Messiah. And it just builds and builds and builds. and I just love watching those videos. I have so many great memories of Christmases growing up in church and getting to sing a part of the Sunshine Singers, sun spelled S-O-N, Sun. Some of you, every church probably had that at some point. The Sunshine Singers, and I remember it's like 1989, I got to be Joseph in the Christmas play. That maybe wasn't a big deal to you, but that was a big deal to me. That's like the, uh, the highest position I could have gotten. <laughs> right? I can't be Mary, and the cabbage patch got to be Jesus, so really there was no other position that I could have aspired to. I got to be Joseph in the play. I remember many of the plays getting to sing in them. I was a part of that choir as a kid, just not any longer. But one of the parts of the Christmas story that was never once in any of the plays or cantatas that I have ever been a part of is the part of the Christmas story we're reading today. And if you're watching Mrs. Sawatsky and Mrs. Bickle and all of you who led Sunshine Singers in the past... I don't blame you for not including this part of the story in all of our cantatas. This is a part of the story that is a difficult one to wrestle through. But it's a part of the Christmas story. It's a part of the Christmas story where we see evil on full display. And at this time of year when we have our nativities and then lights around them and Mary is always like this, perfect, like she just didn't give birth. It's like Jesus just slid out for her or something. I don't understand. She's never... Tired. she's just like this. Everything is so sentimental and calm and quiet. But in the background of all of this was something, something far more sinister happening. And it was a part of the Christmas story the same. So we are going to read through what we see in Matthew. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 18 is our passage today. And then we're going to jump to another part of the passage as well, which is going to show us what was happening behind the scenes when we read of this happening in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 18, 16, sorry, starting in verse, no, not 16, starting in verse 19, we're going to start in 13. We're going to st- thank you for telling me where we're starting. I, I am all over the place. Uh, 13, thank you for that. We're going to start studying today in the passage I studied all week. Verse 13. (laughs) Verse 13, now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. The happy part of the Christmas story. And he rose, and he took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw what he, that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So you can read a passage like this and you can see why we don't want to include that in our pageants. The story of Christmas includes the story of an evil king a sinister king who in fear and in paranoia ordered the slaughtering of every child to and under in Bethlehem. Why? Because he was seeking to destroy one child, Jesus. When we read a passage like this, we, I know myself, I think, well, Ephesians chapter six says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But you read a passage like this and you think, we're wrestling here with flesh and blood. Wrestling here with an evil human king, Herod, who orders this. And we see throughout the, the story of God's people wrestling against Pharaoh in Egypt. Wrestling against Haman. And these evil, sinister men who did awful things. And we think it seems like we do wrestle against flesh and blood. But this is what John helps us see. We just read this passage in Luke. But there is uh, an account of the Christmas story in the book of Revelation that John gives to us where what he does is pull back the curtain that we can see behind the flesh and blood is someone else at work. Someone who is far more sinister than even Herod. Someone who is far more evil than even Haman or Pharaoh ever was. And so, if you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, this is John's version of the Christmas story. And John's version of the Christmas story is what for us shows us what was going on behind what Herod does here. I believe that in this story, he makes mention of this account of what Herod had done. I want you to keep in the back, in the back of your mind as we work through this passage, because this is a, a Christmas story unlike many of the Christmas stories that we would often hear. And I want you to keep, though, in the back of your mind, the the root of this story, or the background of this story, goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, God says to the serpent that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So he's saying, God is saying to the serpent, after deceiving Eve... I am going to send through the seed of Eve one who is going to come, who you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And if you read through the Old Testament, what we read time and time again throughout the whole Old Testament is the serpent, the serpent in, in the Garden of Eden trying to do just that. To wipe out the seed of this woman. You see him working through Cain, who killed Abel. You see him working through Pharaoh and the people of God. You see him working through Haman to destroy the people of God. Time and time again throughout the history of the Old Testament, we see Saul trying to hunt down David. The serpent is at work trying to eliminate that seed. To stop it from ever happening. To keep the one who has been promised from Genesis 3 from ever coming to the scene. And so the serpent's at work over and over again trying to stop that seed from coming. The Old Testament ends and there's 400 years of silence. God's still at work, but he doesn't speak through any prophets. 400 years of silence gets broken when we read... To Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high and the Lord. God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and is of his kingdom. There will be no end. 400 years of silence is broken by the word being spoken to Mary. Saying, you are going to give birth to the one promised from Genesis chapter 3. And how do you think the serpent felt about that? This is what Revelation 12 is going to give us a picture of. And this is going to sound a whole lot more like Lord of the Rings than it does the Christmas story as we know it. I was going to call it Lord of the Rings, Christmas, the desolation of a dragon far worse than smog. But I didn't. But Revelation chapter 12, let's work through this. It says this, and just know when uh, in John, when we read in the, in the book of Revelation, what we're seeing it, he's sharing with us what he saw. And so it's not even necessarily chronological as we read it, but it's, it's in the order of what he saw and what happened next and what he saw. And so here it is, what he saw. He saw a great sign appear in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant. She was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. So she wasn't quite so calm, was she? And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down the third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So the story of Christmas that we see on display in our nativities, we see Mary and Joseph and with Jesus there. And what John is saying is behind Mary and Joseph is a dragon hovering over the manger scene, waiting to devour that child. So on that first Christmas Eve... There were no magi there. There were no shepherds there yet. But there was a dragon there. And the dragon was bent on destroying that child who would be born. Goes on to say what he sees in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. So the same as 1,260 days. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. Trying, to, He's attacking her. But the earth, verse 16, but the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became Furious. And what the woman went off to make war and the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus and he stood on the sand of the sea. And any first century audience knows that out of the sea at night is when the monsters come and that's what we're going to see next. It's the story of Christmas. It's the story that John gives us here that sweeps across the whole redemptive history of time from even before we were made to the time Jesus has come, to the time when he returns. It sweeps over all of history through this one passage. And I know it's debated when this actually took place, but I side with really the, the large, overwhelmingly large majority of scholars who would say, over the history of the church, who would say that this is describing events that are happening right now between the first and second coming of Jesus. And we read of John talking about a dragon a sign appeared in heaven, a dragon. Before that, a sign appeared in heaven, a woman. When it says a sign appeared, a sign is pointing to a reality greater than itself. So when we see a sign, it points to a, rea- it points to a greater reality. So John sees this woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet. So she's standing on the moon, she's dressed with the sun. So who is this woman that he sees? And very clear. This is John with his Old Testament hat on. You got to be steeped in the Old Testament to see the images that he's bringing out here. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has a dream of sun and moon and 11 stars bowing down. The sun being his father, Jacob. The, the moon being his mother, Rachel. And the 11 stars, his brother, him being the 12 stars. So in one sense, this woman represents Israel. But in another sense, it represents Mary, who is seen in Luke's gospel as the representative or the faithful, representative of the faithful remnant of Israel, who she, along with Simeon and along with Anna, along with Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're waiting for the Messiah to come. So she represents that faithful remnant of Israel. But the woman is also the church, and the the offspring that's being talked about a little bit later on in verse 17. So who is this woman? This woman is the people of God both before and after that coming of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus. So then there's another sign. It's a dragon. And the dragon has seven heads and seven is a number of completeness, number of authority, has ten horns, tens the number of strength. So this this is a dragon who is exceedingly strong. In the words of Martin Luther, on earth is not his equal. This is a powerful dragon. He's red; he's the color of blood, the color of destruction. In verse nine, John identifies the dragon as who? This is where he points us back now, all the way to Genesis chapter three. The dragon is one and the same as the ancient serpent who deceived Eve. The same serpent who was promised that one day one would come who would crush his head. He would bruise his heel, but the one that would come would crush his head. And then verse 5 says, this woman gave birth to a male child. And notice here, John does not use the word sign for this male child. So the woman is a sign, pointing to a reality beyond herself. The dragon is a sign, pointing to a reality beyond itself. But the male child is not a sign. The male child is the reality. So we don't find, we're not going to find a woman clothed in the sun. We're not going to find a literal dragon, but we will find a literal child who's been born. The child is the reality. And who is this child? Verse 5 tells us who this child is. This one is the Messiah that's been promised throughout the whole Old Testament. This child is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. John, with his Old Testament hat on again, going back to Genesis, uh, not to Genesis, to to Psalm 2. And the Messiah that would come and rule with a rod of iron. A rod is a shepherd's rod. To have a rod of iron is to have a very strong rod. So this is a picture of the Messiah coming who's going to shepherd the nations in strength and with all authority. So this child who is a literal child who is to be born is the one who has been promised from Genesis 3. He's going to crush the serpent's head. So we see the dragon unsurprisingly. This is a series on Christmas surprises. The surprise is having a dragon there. What's not surprising is that dragon is angry at the birth of this child. We see him hovering over the manger seeking to devour this child. And that's what we just read in Matthew chapter 2, is it not? Herod issuing a decree to have that child destroyed. And he'll take out as many children as necessary. He doesn't care. He just wants to eliminate that one child. So who is behind what Herod does in Matthew chapter 2? It's the serpent. It's the dragon. It's Satan himself. So we're seeing here in, the, in Revelation 12, this picture of events that have already taken place, but events that are even happening right now. In Revelation 12, and what it's describing here is what happened on that Christmas Eve and that, that, that dragon that's hovering over Jesus. I love what Eugene Peterson has a commentary on Revelation. And he says this, it is John's spirit anointed task to supplement the work of Matthew and Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness, not domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. The birth of Jesus excites evil. Why? Because evil knows what the birth of Jesus means for evil. And so it does everything it can to devour this child. But John says this child was born and then caught up to God and his throne. Now that's a very interesting statement because what's been done here, what John sees is a picture of Jesus' life where he is born and in one sentence he's taken up, talking about the ascension. So from one sentence he is born, comes into this world, in that same sentence he's... Taken away, he, the, the dragon can't touch him because the Lord has took him up. God has taken him up. So why not talk about the life of Jesus? Why not say, but the, the Messiah escaped and he withstood the, the temptation of, of Satan on the mountain and he, he, he did to his teachings and cast out demons and he died on the cross and he resurrected. Why surmise the whole life of Jesus until he came into this world and he was taken up to the throne he ascended? Why do that because because that's the reason, that's the purpose by which he came, to reign as our victorious king, the lamb of God who would take our place on the cross and be raised to the right hand of the father as the king of kings and the lord of lords. The purpose by which he came to this earth was to rule as king, to defeat Satan and I love here, this is why uh, the, the, this war that's being fought, that's being talked about here, this war is won through this child who's going to come. But notice the war as we read it. This is war that's taking place in heaven. And yet this war that's taking place in heaven is won by the child who came to this earth that the reason he was thrown down, the reason that he was defeated is because this child came. And this is why all of heaven can say in this loud voice in verse 10, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, our brothers, has been thrown down. Now salvation has come. Is that not what Jesus said when he came? The kingdom of God is at hand. Now the scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing with me being here in your presence. That means the victory's been won with the coming of this child. The battle rages on, and we're gonna see that, but the victory has been secured. And I love this. John loves, he's describing for us what he saw, and you can see him. He's just relishing in telling us what happened to that dragon, He's relish, relishing this, these times where he says the dragon's been thrown down. Three times in verse 9, he's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. Verse 10, thrown down. Verse 12, thrown down. Verse 13, thrown down. He's re- just relishing in this good news that with the coming of the Messiah, the ancient serpent of old, the dragon has been thrown down. And the word literally is the word bounced. He's been bounced from his throne with the coming of of this child. He's been dethroned. And remember at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is taken not taken, but Satan is on the mountain with Jesus and says, "All of these things I will give to you if you just bow down to me." All of these things I give you. And then at the end of Matthew, what happens? What does Jesus say? "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." And so we're seeing Matthew throughout his gospel give us that picture of the dethroning of Satan. Accomplished by the coming of this child. Now all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, he says. And you can see this this picture of being thrown down, thrown down. You see that playing out throughout the gospels. In Luke chapter 10, the, the disciples Come to Jesus and say, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Remember that story? And Jesus says, yes, I saw Satan fall, like, fall from heaven like lightning. But he says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so it's this good news of Christmas that Satan has been thrown down from heaven. And you can be enrolled in heaven. Your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life because of the coming of this child, because of this woman who gave birth to this child who had come and crushed the serpent's head. So this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus, the snake crusher. Jesus, the dragon slayer has come and he has been thrown down and it all began on that first Christmas because Jesus has come to this earth and because of what he accomplished on the cross, we can be redeemed. We can be forgiven of our sin. We can be justified before our God. We can be adopted into his family and in his family forever and no one can snatch us out of that family. When God adopts us into his family, there's no one who can snatch us out of that family. This is that pastoral vision that John is giving to this church. The churches that he's writing to when he's writing Revelation to say, the dragon can cause a lot of destruction, but no one's going to snatch you out of his hand. This is written to a church that's going through incredible difficulty. Great persecution at the hands of some evil emperors. And these truths that John is expressing to them is saying, yes, things are bad. Yes, things are bad because the dragon is ticked. And it's this kind of picture that John is saying to the church, and he says, what you see all around you. And even today, so today, the persecution towards Christians is greater than ever before in history. And so the obvious question you can ask is, why are things so bad then, if this is true? If this dragon's been thrown down... Why are things so bad? The first century church asking that same question. Why are things so bad? And it's because Satan is angry. And he can no longer, you can see expressed through that passage, he has no power over that child. And so he goes after that which is nearest and dearest to that child. He goes after that, the offspring. He goes after the people of God. And so the picture of persecution being so bad in the first century and persecution being bad today is not a sign of Satan's victory. It's a sign of the realization of his defeat. Because he's going to take down as many people as he can with him. See, the dragon knows the gospel. He knows his time is short. We've read that in John. And he is an evil, evil being. Where he is going to take down as many people as he can with him. So why are things so bad? It's because the dragon knows that his final defeat is a secure thing. And he's angry. He's ticked. And he's going to take down as many of you as he can with him. It's a picture we see throughout the entire scriptures. It's a a picture that we continue to see in our world today. But look what happens in verse 14. The woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished. So you can see the dragon has no power over the child, so attacks the woman, attacks the offspring. But what does God do? Gives her two wings of the great eagle. And that sounds a whole lot like Lord of the Rings, but that's actually a quote back to Exodus chapter 19. Where in Exodus 19, God telling the people of God what he did for them out of Egypt. And he says, talks about how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So Old Testament hat on again for John, referencing what God did in Egypt with the people of God, rescuing them out of the hands of Pharaoh and into the land where he's bringing them into. He says he's doing the same thing today to the people of God. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to go well for you once he brings you there. It's where sometimes we can get this wrong idea of thinking, well, if I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to go well for me. And if I don't have everything going well for me, then Jesus must not be happy with me. That's simply just not true. When you give your life to Jesus, the dragon's going to attack you all the more. That's what Jesus says. In this life, you will have trouble. He says, they hated me. They're going to hate you also. So the dragon is angry. The dragon is going to attack you and is attacking you. But the good news is, is here God brings this woman to a place of refuge, saying to us, he brings us to a place of refuge. And it's this picture of, yes, the dragon can hurt you, but no one can snatch you out of his hands. Your eternity is certain. By faith in Christ, you can be saved and no one can take you out of his family once you're in there. So beautiful picture being given here. But the dragon's still going to attack. He's still going to do what he can. And we see there's two things he tries to do here. Two things that are mentioned. Number one, he is the deceiver, it says in verse 9. And we see that throughout all of the scriptures. He is the great deceiver. He attacks the people of God seeking to deceive you. He whispers in your ear things that are not true. He whispers in your ear to get you to buy into these lies. He whispers into your ear to tell you God is not real. Or to whisper into your ear to say God is real, but he doesn't give a rip about you. He whispers into your ear that which will draw you away from God if you believe them to be true. But they are lies. All he can do is lie. He's the great deceiver. And so he whispers these things into your ear to draw you away from Jesus. The second thing he does here is he accuses. Verse 10 talks about him being the accuser. So he's accusing them. He's throwing your sins in your face, and saying, look at you, you good-for-nothing nobody. The deception and the accusation go hand-in-hand here. He's accusing you. You're not going to amount to anything. So how do we overcome in the midst of these attacks by the dragon that continue on today? And there's two things that are mentioned here by John. Against the flood of accusation, we overcome. Number one, by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by preaching the gospel to ourselves. When the accusations come, we preach the gospel to ourselves and say, Yes, I am a sinner, but I've been saved by grace. Yes, I am. Someone who has strayed so far from God and done so many things in my life that I wish I didn't do. But Christ on the cross paid for that in full. That I can be forgiven. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We, we walk knowing that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And then the second thing, oh, against the flood of deception, we overcome, John says, by the word of our testimony by the word of our testimony. In other words, we we counter deceit with the truth of what God has done in our life, what Christ has done in our life. We overcome those those, those kind of deceit that is thrown our way by the truth of who Jesus is. We take every every thought captive to Christ. And when we do that, we speak truth into a situation where there's lies that are being prevalent, thrown around, and nothing frustrates a liar more than when his lies are exposed. So we counter those things with the truth. When the deceiver throws our sin in our face, we preach the gospel to ourselves. I'm a sinner, yes, but I've been saved by grace, by the blood of the lamb. And there's an interesting comment he makes here in verse 11, for they loved not their lives even unto death. In other words, they were not afraid to die. And this is something that we need to often remember. And it's one of those things where when we lose a loved one in our world today, it is sad. We mourn. We miss them. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope that one day we will see them again. And you can see this picture, and we see it mentioned by Paul, in his letters that he writes, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. But they were not afraid to death because death simply meant a change of locations. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Far better for me to be with Christ, the presence of him. And so that kind of not being afraid is that which leads to boldness and to courage as we overcome by the word of our testimony and then sharing that testimony with others. Sharing what Christ has done with others. So we overcome by not being afraid of death, we could say, according to that. So this Revelation 12, we see some incredible truths listed here. And this is why I showed you that picture last week of the dragon at my nativity. Because it's a reminder of all of these truths that we celebrate at Christmas. That at Christmas, we celebrate the defeat of Satan. That he has been defeated. He still rages on. And one day, he will be once and for all defeated but his defeat is certain because of the coming of this child that we celebrate at Christmas. But we have to keep in mind and remember that because he has no power over the child, he's going to come after you. And he's going to come after me. And he's going to attack us through accusation, through deception, whisper in your ear things that are not true to draw you away from Jesus. So we need to stand guard and be ready for that. It's part of the Christmas story. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. We overcome by the power of the truth. And so let's at this Christmas, let's celebrate this important part of the story that with the coming of Jesus, the dragon's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown down. I could just keep saying it six or seven times to join with John. The dragon has been bounced because of the coming of this child. We have missionaries. I'm going to close with this. We have missionaries that we support in Togo. Uh, three different missionary families that we support. Two that are member missionaries that have gone. In the south of Togo uh, are the Pennies. And I had a good meeting with the Pennies and Westons this week. We're sending a short-term team there in April, Lord willing. So I had a great meeting with them. But Christine was just sharing. Christine Penny was just sharing about some of the co-workers on the field that they work with. Uh, the Malays. Is it Malays or Malies? Malleys is how you pronounce it. It's the Malleys. And the Malleys have a daughter, Arwen, who is dying of cancer. They're on the mission field. Cancer is ripping her body apart. They've been asked, you know, is this going to ruin your Christmas? And I read their December newsletter and there's a line in it I want to read to you because I thought, yes. They said this, death can't ruin Christmas when Christmas has already ruined death. That's the summary of what we've just studied here in Revelation 12. Death cannot ruin Christmas because Christmas, what Jesus did in his coming, has already ruined death. This Advent is a time where we need to celebrate and remember what was accomplished in the first coming of Jesus, but we cannot negate the fact that there is a day coming and have our celebrations point to that day when he comes again. But when he comes again, it's not going to be like his first coming. It's not going to be in, a, in, in lowly Bethlehem. When he comes again, he's going to crack open the sky in all authority. Make all things new. Where death will once and for all lose its sting. Where hell will lose its victory. Where Satan will be thrown into the fires of hell. Once and for all. And so this Christmas, let us point forward and remember the hope Of the second coming, when he will return and make all things new. Death cannot ruin Christmas. Sickness cannot ruin Christmas. A pandemic cannot ruin Christmas. Because with the coming of Jesus, he's already ruined all of those things. Death can't ruin Christmas when Christmas has already ruined death. Let me pray, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Father, thank you for... This apocalyptic Christmas story we read in the book of John and Revelation. Thank you for these great reminders in this passage of what was accomplished in the coming of Jesus and the hope that we have to look forward to as your children. And we are thankful that against the accusation, against the deception of our greatest enemy, of Satan himself... That he can do whatever he wants to do, but he cannot snatch us out of your hands. That we are adopted into your family and forever there. And what a great blessing that is. And so this Christmas, may we remember these important truths that Satan has been thrown down with the coming of this child, that his head has been crushed and will once and for all be crushed in the coming day. And we look forward to that day when he will come and make all things new, and we will dwell with him for all eternity. No sickness, no pain, no cancer, no strokes. But we will dwell with him, with you for all eternity. This Christmas, may we look forward to that day. May we say, come thou long expected Jesus with Israel as they waited for that day of Jesus to come the first time. I pray that our prayer would now be the same as we await for him to come again. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come and set us free once and for all. Bring us into your presence once and for all that we can dwell with you for all eternity. But as you leave us on this earth, may we be found faithful. May we be found faithful in making much of your Son, Jesus Christ, as we live our lives for him, waiting for that coming day. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Come, set us free. Pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's Word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.